0: Follow along with me as I start reading in verse 14. Now he, being Jesus, was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon came out, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowds were amazed. But some of them said, he drives out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. And others, as a test, were demanding of him a sign from heaven. Knowing their thoughts, he told them, Every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction, and a house divided against itself falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say, I drive out demons by Beelzebul. And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons drive them out? For this reason, they will be your judges. If I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his estate, his possessions are secure. But when one stronger than he attacks and overpowers him, he takes from him all his weapons he trusted in and divides up his plunder. Anyone who is not with me is against me, and anyone who does not gather with me scatters. When an unclean spirit comes out of a person, it roams through waterless places looking for rest. And not finding rest, it then says, I'll go back to my house that I came from. Returning, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and settle down there. As a result, that person's last condition is worse than the first. As he was saying these things, a woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the one who nursed you. He said, rather, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray as we come and consider your word that you would protect us from the distractions of the enemy. Father, that you would protect us from the temptation to not heed and listen to your word. Father, that through your word you would lead us to stand with you. Father, truly blessed are those who hear the word of the Lord and keep it. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. And we pray that you would be at work through your word by your spirit today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In his book, The Screwtape Letters, the professor and theologian and writer C.S. Lewis wrote this about our attitude towards Satan and his demons. He writes this, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race, in other words, the human race, can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors. And in other words, people tend towards one or two errors when it comes to Satan and his demons. They either do not believe they exist or they become consumed by them. They think of them a lot, greatly. Uh, Lewis argues that, that Satan is pleased with both of those errors. And now, many people in the United States, where I am from, have fallen for the first error. They do not believe Satan and his demons exist probably because they don't believe much in supernatural at all. They don't really believe in God either. For others of you in this room, your cultures may tend towards the opposite air. Demons are overemphasized. They're greatly feared. They play a prominent role in the teaching of the church. People perform elaborate rituals to rid themselves from demons. People believe in them, and they fear them. Well, our, our verses for this morning help us put Satan and his demons into proper perspective by putting Jesus into proper perspective. Say that again. Our verses for this morning help us put Satan and his demons into proper perspective by putting Jesus into proper perspective. Oh, the text makes it clear that Satan and his demons are real. It is foolish to doubt their existence but the text also makes it clear that jesus is stronger than satan and his demons he has conquered and so there is no need for christians to fear their existence the main idea of these verses and therefore this sermon is rally to your king jesus rally to your king who is conquered and i have three points to help us consider this text and that idea this morning The first is the sign of the king. Find that in verses 14 through 16, the sign of the king. Second, the conquering king. That'll be verses 17 through 23. And then finally, the occupying king, verses 24 through 28. So first, the sign of the king. Our verses begin with Jesus driving a demon from a man, something that we have actually seen him do quite a bit in our study through the Gospel of Luke. Over and over again, Jesus has demonstrated his power and his authority over the demonic realm. He does it again in these verses when he cast out a demon that had made this man mute. In our verses, we see two very different reactions to what Jesus did here. And Notice at the end of verse 14 that the crowds were amazed. This man who could not speak was suddenly able to speak. But others, probably the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, were simply further hardened in their opposition to Jesus. Instead of amazement or even gratitude that Jesus would heal this man, well, they they were hostile. Those two different reactions are key to these verses. Friends, there are only two possible responses to Jesus. Jesus. Look at verse 23. You can either be with Jesus or you can be against Jesus. There is no neutral position. You cannot sit on the fence. That's because there are only two kingdoms. There is the kingdom of heaven and there is the kingdom of the world. Friends, you have to pick sides. There, There is no middle ground. Although there were these Two very different responses when Jesus cast out this demon. Well, notice that no one had actually doubted that Jesus had done something miraculous. No one actually doubted that Jesus had cast out a a demon. No one doubted that this man who had been unable to speak was now able to speak. Those that were opposed to Jesus did not doubt if Jesus had cast out a demon or if Jesus had done something amazing. Oh, they questioned how he was able to do it. This sign that Jesus performed or this this miracle was unmistakable. That was something that's actually true about all of Jesus' miracles. It's true of all of Jesus' healings. He healed people of visible diseases like leprosy. He made the lame walk. He made the blind see, the deaf hear, the mute speak. Jesus even raised people from the dead. And friends, he healed people who were known in the community. The people who witnessed these miracles knew the people who had been healed. They had been witnesses to their suffering. The point is that Jesus' miracles were obvious and unmistakable because they were intended to be visible signs that he was the Messiah, that he was the eternal Son of God. They were intended to be unmistakable evidence that the kingdom of God had drawn near. Friends, I I think that is is helpful for us as we think of miracles and healings today. Where the gift of healing is active, we should expect to see similarly unmistakable miracles. We should expect to see people healed, not just of subjective things like earaches or, or, or back problems that no one can see or verify. Instead, we should expect to see things like the mute speak and the blind see. And now to to be honest with you, I'm not convinced personally that people are still given the gift of healing today. Now, do not mistake me. I, I still very much believe I still very much believe that God still miraculously heals people today. I believe that God is still in the business of miracles. I think you should pray for healing. I'm just not sure that people have been given the gift of healing because I believe that gift served a particular purpose in the early church, confirming that Jesus is Lord and Christ, confirming the gospel message that the apostles brought. It was intended to bring glory to God and confirm or authenticate those first gospel messengers. Uh, However, even as I say that, I want to be clear that this is something that faithful Christians can disagree about. There are certainly wise and godly Christians who would disagree with me, and I could certainly be wrong. And to be honest, I I am open to the possibility of the gift of healing, that it may still be active in places where the gospel is not widely known. But I also believe that that if that is the case, it will be shown through indisputable signs. Friends, people may not believe in those things that are happening, as as we see happening in our verses, but the signs themselves will be unmistakable. Uh, Friends, my my purpose in, in saying all of that is not to cast doubt on the work of the Spirit, but to encourage you to exercise good judgment and biblical discernment about this issue. Uh, Unfortunately, and especially in the internet age, there are some, maybe more than some, who falsely claim the gift of healing in order to make themselves rich, or to bring glory to themselves rather than bringing glory to God. And so I want you to exercise good judgment and biblical discernment so that you may not be led astray. Brothers and sisters, I also want to point out something else about demons from these verses. In Jesus' ministry and in the New Testament, demons were not really associated with specific sins. They were generally associated with mental or physical sicknesses or illnesses, as we see in these verses. This man was made mute by the demon. People were not said to have a, a spirit of deceit or a spirit of stealing Or a a spirit of anger. Now, Satan and his demons do seek to tempt people. Satan does want to attack. He is a tempter and a deceiver. He is an accuser. He wants to lead people away from Jesus. It's just that the New Testament really almost never speaks of sin in terms of demonic influence. The Bible does not teach you to, to look for a demon or an evil spirit behind every one of your sins. It does say that your sin gives opportunity to the devil. Your sin does give opportunity to the devil. But it puts the blame for your sin squarely with you. Brothers and sisters, there is a great danger in blaming demons for your lying or your stealing or your sexual immorality, or for for any other sin that you may be struggling with. If If you simply blame a demon for your sin, you will avoid taking responsibility for your sin. You will not turn from your sin and follow after Jesus. And friends, turning to Jesus is the only answer to sin. Because Jesus is the only one who has defeated Satan brothers and sisters, do not look for Satan behind every one of your sins. He may be active. He may be attacking. He may be tempting. He may have contributed to the difficult circumstances that you are facing. But don't look first there. Look at your own heart. And then turn to Jesus in in daily repentance and faith. That that brings us back to the hostile response to Jesus' healing here. If any of you are are sports fans, you probably know what happens basically every time the team that you cheer for loses. The fans of that team, the fans of your team, will say that the other team got lucky, or they'll blame the officials for the defeat. They never want to admit, fans of teams never want to admit the truth that the other team was just better. After France lost in the World Cup not too long ago, there was an online petition, probably mainly in France, that hundreds of thousands of people signed, demanding that the final match be replayed because they thought the officials had unfairly favored Argentina. This is essentially what Jesus' opponents were doing here. They didn't really want to accept the truth that he was the Son of God, that he had come from God, that he was who he said he was, and so they try to find some excuse So one group of his opponents say that Jesus was driving out demons by the power of Beelzebul. Now, now Beelzebul was the name for one of the false gods of Canaan, of the surrounding nations. But by Jesus' day, the Jews had basically just used that as a term for Satan. So Jesus is speaking of of Satan here. Now, Jesus' opponents did not want to admit that Jesus was actually Lord and Messiah, So they say he's casting out demons by the power of Satan. They were were calling Jesus, who is the spotless Lamb of God, Satan. They were saying that Jesus, the Holy One of Israel, was in partnership with Satan. And friends, this was evil. It is an evil thing to call the work of God the work of Satan. Well, others that were opposed to Jesus, they went the opposite route and essentially said that Jesus got lucky. They didn't seem to doubt that he had really driven out a demon, but they doubted he had truly come from God. They thought it was a fluke. Maybe it was a a trick. So they tested Jesus or they challenged Jesus by demanding he perform another sign to prove that he had come from God. Now, Jesus... Quickly expose the foolishness and the hypocrisy and the danger of their opposition to him. And that brings us to the second point of the sermon, which is the conquering king. Let's look again at verse 17. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus told them every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction, and a house divided against itself falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say, I drive out demons by Beelzebul. And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons drive them out? For this reason, they will be your judges. If I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his estate, his possessions are secure. But when one stronger than he attacks and overpowers him, he takes from him all his weapons he trusted in and divides up his plunder. Anyone who is not with me is against me. And anyone who does not gather with me scatters. Well, as we just said, some of those who are opposed to Jesus demanded from him a sign. And in, in something of an ironic twist, Jesus actually gave them one. Look at verse 17. He knew their thoughts. Now, kids, I know sometimes it might seem like your parents know what you were thinking, but God is the only one who knows your thoughts. And knowing their thoughts, Jesus responded to their hostility towards him and exposed their foolishness. At first, Jesus said it was completely ridiculous to say that he was driving out demons by the power of Satan. Like this argument just doesn't even make sense. It doesn't hold water. It's ridiculous on its face. If, if he was casting out demons by the power of Satan, it means that Satan is working against himself. It would be like if a football player was intentionally scoring own goals. He was intentionally scoring for the other team and against his own team. Well, it makes no sense. Why would Satan want Jesus to cast his own demons out of people? What football team will win if some of their players are really playing for the other team? A kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction. But then, Jesus really drove the point home. He asked them if he was driving out demons by the power of Satan. Well, who were their sons driving them out by? Now, at this time, there were Jewish exorcists, those who claimed to be able to drive out demons by the power of God. These were the sons that Jesus was referring to, those Jewish exorcists. Now, I think that whether these people could actually drive out demons was very doubtful. You can just look at Acts 19 for evidence of that. But the point Jesus was making is that if you say your fellow rabbis and Pharisees or your fellow Jewish exorcists are casting out demons by the power of God, why are you claiming that I am doing it by the power of Satan? Well, that's hypocritical. He then told them as a result their sons would be their judges. And that is because basically the Pharisees had trapped themselves by their own words. They were saying one of two things. Either one, that their fellow Jewish exorcists, who they believed in, were also casting out demons by the power of Satan, just like they were accusing Jesus of doing. That's one option. The second option is if Jesus was casting out demons by the power of God, which he was, it meant that those who were opposed to him were opposed to the work of God. Either way, Jesus' opponents were trapped. Trapped by their own words. They showed by their own words that they were not part of the kingdom of light, but the kingdom of darkness. They were opposed to Jesus. They were the ones who were truly in partnership with Satan. If Jesus was not casting out demons by the power of Satan, he tells them what the only other option was. Look at verse 20. It meant that he was doing it by the finger of God. It meant that God's kingdom had come. The king was here. The conquering king, Jesus Christ, had power over sin, power over sickness, power over creation, power even over death, and certainly power over the forces of darkness. brothers and sisters, this was the reason for all the signs and wonders Jesus performed. It was to show that the kingdom of God had come in Jesus Christ. He was establishing God's rule and reign. Jesus was setting right what had been made wrong by sin. He was overthrowing the powers of darkness, overthrowing the results of sin. He was establishing the kingdom of God that continues to grow as more and more people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, his kingdom will be fully established when he returns again in glory. Well, that's why even in the verses that we looked at last week, we pray for his kingdom to come Verses 21 and 22 just further illustrate this truth that God's kingdom had come. Satan is the strong man of verse 21. The one who seems all powerful, protected, invincible, whose house and possessions are well guarded. He's got weapons. That is until, as we see in verse 22, a stronger man comes. Friends, that stronger man is Jesus Christ. He is the one who has crushed the head of the serpent. The one who has attacked and overpowered Satan. Who has taken from Satan all the weapons that he has trusted in. He makes them look like Nerf guns. And he has divided up Satan's plunder. Friends, that, that plunder that has been divided up is people. Jesus is busy snatching people from Satan's kingdom and bringing them into his own kingdom. Jesus came to set the captives free. Satan's kingdom is plundered every time God supernaturally transfers somebody from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Each and every day, Satan's kingdom is being plundered as more and more people come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, the stronger man has come. Jesus is the king who has conquered Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. At the cross, God disarmed the rulers and authorities. Those rulers and authorities is a reference to Satan and his demons. At the cross, God disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in Jesus. Friends, the cross was a place of triumph. It is where Jesus triumphed over the forces of darkness because it is his blood that was spilled for sin that ransoms or plunders a people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Friends, Jesus and his kingdom have prevailed and they will never be destroyed. You do not have to to fear the events and circumstances of this world thinking that they are, are somehow outside of God's control. If you are in Christ's kingdom, you do not need to fear Satan and his demons. You do not have to worry that there is a demon behind every rock and tree. You do not have to perform a elaborate rituals to protect your home or your possessions. You do not have to go to the, the local witch doctor. Friends, to be a child of God means that you have been plundered from Satan's hands. And you are now safe in the kingdom of God your eternal security, your eternal safety, well, it is in the hands of the stronger man. It is in the hands of the king who is conquered. Your life is safe. Your life is secure. This is why James can write this in James chapter 4, verse 7. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That is a promise. You can resist. He will flee. He does not have power over you. You've been given the armor of God. Therefore, as Paul encourages in Ephesians 6, in every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. You have the shield of faith by which you can extinguish, block, fend off all the fiery darts, all the flaming arrows of the evil one. kids, do any of you enjoy watching superhero movies? Maybe Marvel movies like Spider-Man or The Avengers? Well, in those movies, the bad guy always seems to be winning at first, don't they? The bad guys always have the upper hand at the beginning. But kids, are you ever really afraid that the bad guy is gonna win? You ever afraid that the villain is actually going to win in the end? No, of course not. You've seen these movies before. You know that the Avengers will always end up winning. This is kind of what it's like for us during our time on Earth. Sometimes it might seem, maybe often it seems, like Satan and evil have the upper hand. There's wickedness everywhere. We're mistreated. But friends, we do not need to worry because we know the end of the story. Jesus, the king, has come, and there is nothing that Satan can do to stop stop him from establishing his kingdom. There is nothing that Satan can do to steal you back from Jesus' hand. Jesus is the king who is conquered. It is Jesus who is the stronger man. And friends, Jesus emphasizes or, or summarizes the main point of all his teaching and illustrations in verse 23. Anyone who is not with me is against me. And anyone who does not gather with me scatters. But friends, there is no neutrality when it comes to Jesus. You are either for him or you are against him. Said at the, the beginning of the sermon. But there is no middle ground. The the mark of a Christian is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. You're not to be lukewarm. Friends, it's not good enough to think of Jesus as a good teacher or a good example. Someone who taught some generally good principles. No, you must submit to him as Lord and King by repenting of your sins and placing your faith in him. You're either in Jesus' kingdom or you're in Satan's kingdom. There's not some demilitarized zone in the middle. You're either in Satan's kingdom or you're in Jesus' kingdom. Now to quote Pastor John MacArthur, The person who does not believe in Jesus Christ, does not receive him, does not follow Christ with all his heart, does not join in building Christ's kingdom, is in partnership with Satan as much as if he were a Satan worshiper. It is not necessary to oppose Jesus Christ to be against him. It is not necessary to attack his deity. It is not necessary to attack his word. It is not necessary to attack his character. It is not necessary to attack his gospel. It is not necessary to discredit his church. It is not necessary to persecute Christians. It is not necessary to interfere in his work, to slander his name, or to hate his kingdom. All you have to do is nothing about Jesus Christ. And you're in the same category with Satan worshipers. You've made your choice. Because there is no neutrality when it comes to Jesus Christ. Have any of you ever, ever seen a movie in which a king like rallies his armies for battle? He has someone, some servant of his, hold high his banner, holds it up over the battlefield so that everyone in the battlefield can see, and calls all of his loyal sar- soldiers to, to rally to him, to gather with him, to, to stand with him. But friends, that is what we are to do. Look again at verse 23. Those who are with Jesus are to gather to him. Christians, you are called to rally to your king who has conquered. And if you are part of his kingdom, you will rally to him. You will stand with him, no matter how great the forces of darkness appear. No matter how difficult your life may seem. No matter how challenging your circumstances may get. Now why? Because he has set you free. And you know the end of the story. You know that he is the conquering king whose kingdom will have no end. That you are part of an everlasting kingdom. Friends, we do not rally to Jesus in hopes of winning the battle. In those movies, usually that king is, is gathering his troops for one last assault. But we're not rallying to Jesus in hopes of winning the battle. We rally because the battle has already been won. And that brings us to the final point of the sermon. The occupying king. Verses 24 and 28. Look again, at, starting at verse 24. When an unclean spirit comes out of a person, it roams through waterless places looking for rest. And not finding rest, it then says, I'll go back to my house that I came from. Returning, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and settle down there. As a result, that person's last condition is worse than the first. As he was saying these things, a woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the one who nursed you. He said, rather, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Let's just be honest. These verses are not the easiest verses in the Bible to understand. But I I believe the best interpretation is that Jesus is speaking about the danger of people trying to clean up their lives on their own without actually coming to Jesus. Jesus. People who seek to become a moral or better person without actually submitting to Jesus as king and having him occupy their hearts. In some sense, they have nothing to do with Jesus. They just want to clean up their lives on their own. So the picture Jesus paints is of a demon who leaves a person for some reason or other. Maybe someone's cast it out. Maybe for some other reason. But in not finding a suitable home, the demon returned eventually. And what did the demon find when it returned? A house or a life. A house is just a picture of a life. It's it's not a physical house. A a life that was swept and put in order. A life that that looked very good, perhaps, on the outside. Perhaps that person had been working really hard to keep their New Year's resolutions to be a better person. Maybe they had started coming to church. Maybe they had stopped drinking alcohol. Maybe they had committed to, to sexual purity. Maybe they responded to the gospel that they had heard initially like the, with joy, like the, the seeds that were sown among the rocks and the thorns. Their lives had been swept. Their lives had been put in order. But friends, look what else the demon found when it returned. It found a house that was unoccupied, a house that was swept, a house that was put in order but a house that had no inhabitant. To go back to verse 22, there was no stronger man now guarding and protecting that house. The house looked good on the outside, but Jesus was absent. The king had not taken up residence. As I said, one thing you can always count on in superhero movies is for the superhero to win in the end. The other thing that often happens in those superhero movies is that the villain the bad guy often seems to get defeated like halfway through the movie. Everybody thinks things are good. Everybody relaxes. They go back about their business. Only the bad guy is not actually dead and comes back seemingly more dangerous than ever. Now, this is what happened here. The person had cleaned up their life, thought they were okay, relaxed, thinking God must be pleased with them but they ignored Jesus. As they relaxed, the demon brought along seven of its friends who were more evil than it was to come and occupy this person's life instead. And as a result, the person's last condition is worse than the first. Now, for their last condition to be worse than the first could mean that they just, like, jumped both feet into serious sin, obvious sin, returned to whatever serious sin that they had previously been committing. It could mean that. But friends, I believe the greater danger, and the danger Jesus was likely warning against, was that this individual's life still looked clean on the outside. This person continued with their New Year's resolutions, but their life remained corrupt on the inside. Remember, Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day. And just a few verses later, in Luke chapter 11, verses 38, this is what Jesus says to the Pharisees. Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and evil. Their lives seemed clean on the outside. They seem to be very good, upstanding rule followers. But friends, their hearts were a different story. The danger of their condition was that unlike the person living in obvious sin, they did not see their need for a savior. Their problem was not obvious. They thought they were okay. They were blind to their own sin. So to use Jesus' illustration here, the seven more evil spirits that returned, perhaps did not lead them to more outward sin. That was not the problem. But it, they blinded their eyes to Jesus. They hardened their hearts towards God. They made them think that they were just fine on their own, that they were doing pretty good. Friends, it was those who appeared to be the most religious and moral on the outside, the scribes and the Pharisees that were most opposed to Jesus during his time on earth. Friends, there is a great danger in cleaning up your life but leaving out Jesus. It can vaccinate you against the gospel. It can vaccinate you against seeing your need for a Savior. Friends, Jesus came not to, to save those who did not see their need for a Savior, but those who knew themselves to be sinners. He did not come for the healthy, but the sick. Jesus not didn't come just to get people to live a little bit better lives. Though he very much desires your holiness. He came to call people to repentance and faith. He called them to rally to Him as their king, to surrender their very lives to Him. Friends, do not make the mistake of, of thinking that all you need to do in this life, all you need to do is just clean yourself up a little bit. Do not make the mistake that that so many make in those superhero movies of of thinking that the villain is dead. If those previous verses encouraged us not to think too much of Satan, these verses encourage you not to think too little. He is real. He wants to destroy you. And friends, he is perfectly happy to destroy you by making you think that you are okay on your own. But that is not true. You need the stronger man. You need Jesus. Friends, coming to Jesus, we're not just looking to be free of something. We shouldn't be content just like, oh yeah, this demon left for a little bit of time. No, we're not just to be free of something. We must have a new master. We must have somebody take up residence in our hearts. Well, that is who Jesus is. And so our verses conclude with an interaction Jesus has with a woman who has been listening to Jesus' teaching. She cried out, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the one who nursed you. And she was giving Jesus a compliment. I think it was something like saying, oh, You're a good man. Your mother must be so proud. But what did Jesus say? That honoring him with one's lips is not enough. Many will say, Lord, Lord, in the last day, but will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Instead, Jesus said, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. But friends, this is where true blessedness is found. This is how one rallies to the king. And now I do not think Jesus' main purpose here was to teach us something about his mother. But friends, does this not warn us away from a veneration of Mary? And what Jesus was was saying here, as one commentator put it, is that Mary's blessedness does not consist simply in her earthly relationship with me, but in the fact that she heard the word of God and kept it, which is where true blessedness lies. Mary was blessed to give birth to the Savior, but she was eternally blessed not for that reason, but because she heard the word of God and kept it. She had faith. And friends, this blessedness, same blessedness of Mary, is available to all who do the same. And friends, the reality is that you cannot hear the word of God and do it without submitting to Jesus as your king. John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. The Pharisees did not love Jesus. For as good as their lives looked on the outside, For as many commands as that they followed, they rejected him. Friends, to hear God's word and do it starts with loving Jesus. It starts with submitting to Jesus. It starts with loving Jesus with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. There is no such thing as hearing and doing the word of God apart from faith in Jesus Christ. Because all of God's word points to Jesus Christ. Hearing and keeping the word of Jesus, though, is how you rally to your king. It's how you flee from the devil. You must gather with Jesus. You must rally to Jesus. He has defeated the powers of darkness. So rally to his banner in confident faith. Friends, you flee from the devil not by spending more time thinking of him. Not by spending more time dwelling on Satan and his demons not by performing ever and more elaborate rituals to protect your house and your life and your possessions. That is not how you flee from the devil. You do it by spending more time looking at your king. This is what should occupy your mind. Do not give your mind, your attention, or your heart over to Satan. Give it over to your king who has plundered you from Satan's kingdom and brought you into his everlasting kingdom. Spend time in his word. Meditate on him. Think on him. Look to Jesus. Pray to him. Remember the gospel. And by doing those things, rally to your king who is conquered. Let's go to God now in prayer.